Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. In early July of each year, Americans celebrate independence. I love America and I love liberty, so I feel especially blessed to be an American. Today on Core Principles, I'm going to talk about independence, liberty, and the principles on which our nation was founded. I'm going to rely primarily on the wise words of John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States. His father, John Adams, was the second president of the United States and a leader in the revolution for our liberty. But first, I want to clarify the terms that I and most Americans so often use regarding how I mean them. When I say liberty, I do not mean the freedom to do whatever I want, but I mean the freedom to do what I ought. Yes, that does imply there is a standard of behavior. There absolutely is a standard of behavior, and it absolutely cannot come from any earthly authority, or it wouldn't be a true standard that applies equally to all. The standard comes from the creator of the universe, who is the only true moral authority. The founders of our nation understood this, and we should be thankful they did. Equality is only possible within that worldview. But wait, equality? But some of the founders had slaves, and in spite of most of their words against it, they didn't immediately end that wicked practice. That is true, but everyone should reflect on the truth about slavery and this nation. America didn't start that evil. America was a leader in ending it in much of the world. Throughout history, every race has been enslaved and every race has been enslavers. The first time in human history the international trading of slaves was banned was not until 1807 and 1808 by Britain and the United States. The first nation to ban the practice of slavery was Britain in 1833, and the fourth nation in the history of the world to ban the practice of slavery was the United States just a few decades later. Slavery actually still happens in other parts of the world even today, but our brand new nation was a world leader in abolishing slavery here. It took 87 years and a bloody civil war, but America should be recognized as one of the most anti-slavery nations in the history of the world. So yes, equality is important here. You'll learn in this episode how anti-slavery America has been if you listen to John Quincy Adams' words. The other key term to clarify is independence. It seems very obvious, but so many people seem to allow for the coexistence of independence and of dependence. Those two things are not merely opposite. They are also mutually exclusive when we're talking about a citizen's relationship with government. You cannot have independence if you are dependent on government for your personal needs. And independence is a prerequisite for liberty. Therefore, every so-called progressive program that tends to engender dependence on government is anti-liberty. That's a harsh reality, but it is absolutely unavoidably true. The other point I want to highlight before I let President Adams' words inform us in remembrance is this. The core principles on which this nation was founded are also the core principles of the Holy Scripture. President Adams expressed that clearly, and I encourage you to listen for it and consider its significance. Now, an oration delivered before the inhabitants of the town of Newburyport at their request on the 61st anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, July 4, 1837, by John Quincy Adams. 
Why is it, friends and fellow citizens, that you are here assembled? Why is it that, entering upon the 62nd year of our national existence, you have honored with an invitation to address you from this place, a fellow citizen of a former age, bearing in the records of his memory the warm and vivid affections which attached him at the distance of a full half-century to your town and to your forefathers, then the cherished associates of his youthful days? Why is it that, next to the birthday of the Savior of the world, your most joyous and most venerated festival returns on this day? Is it not that, in the chain of human events, the birthday of this nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior, that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth, that it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity and gave to the world the first irrevocable pledge of the fulfillment of the prophecies announced directly from heaven at the birth of the Savior and predicted by the greatest of the Hebrew prophets 600 years before? Cast your eyes backwards upon the progress of time, 61 years from this day, and in the midst of the horrors and desolations of civil war, you behold an assembly of planters, shopkeepers, lawyers, representatives of the people of 13 English colonies in North America, sitting in the city of Philadelphia. These 55 men on that day unanimously adopt and publish to the world a state paper under the simple title of a declaration. The object of this declaration was twofold. First, to proclaim the people of the 13 United Colonies one people, and in their name and by their authority to dissolve the political bands which had connected them with another people, that is, the people of Great Britain. Secondly, to assume in the name of this one people of the 13 United Colonies among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. This, my countrymen, was the first and immediate purpose of the Declaration of Independence to justify before the tribunal of public opinion throughout the world the solemn act of separation of the one people from the other. But this is not the reason for which you are here assembled. The question of right and wrong involved in the resolution of North American independence was of transcendent importance to those who were actors in the scene, a question of life, of fortune, of fame, of eternal welfare. To you, it is a question of nothing more than historical interest. The separation itself was a painful and distressing event, a measure resorted to by your forefathers with extreme reluctance and justified by them in their own eyes only as a dictate of necessity. They had gloried in the name of Britons. It was a passport of honor throughout the civilized world. They were now to discard it forever with all its tender and all its generous sympathies for a name obscure and unknown, the honest fame of which was to be achieved by the gallantry of their own exploits and the wisdom of their own counsels. But with the separation of the one people from the other was indissolubly connected another event. They had been British colonies, distinct and separate subordinate portions of the great community. In the struggle of resistance against one common oppressor, by a moral centripetal impulse, they had spontaneously coalesced into one people. They declare themselves such in express terms by this paper. 
The members of the Congress who signed their names to the Declaration style themselves the representatives not of the separate colonies, but of the United States of America in Congress assembled. No one colony is named in the Declaration, nor is there anything on its face indicating from which of the colonies any of the signers was delegated. They proclaim the separation of one people from another. They affirm the right of the people to institute, alter, and abolish their government. And their final language is, We do in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states. The declaration was not that each of the states was separately free and independent, but that such was their united condition. And so essential was their union, both in principle and in fact, to their freedom and independence, that had one of the colonies seceded from the rest and undertaken to declare herself free and independent, she could have maintained neither independence nor freedom. And by this paper, this one people did notify the world of mankind that they thereby did assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. This was indeed a great and solemn event. The sublimest of the prophets of antiquity, with the voice of inspiration, had exclaimed, Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? In the 2,500 years that had elapsed since the days of that prophecy, no such event had occurred. It had never been seen before. In the annals of the human race, then, for the first time, did one people announce themselves as a member of that great community of the powers of the earth, acknowledging the obligations and claiming the rights of the laws of nature and of nature's God. The earth was made to bring forth in one day. A nation was born at once. Well, indeed, may such a day be commemorated by such a nation from year to year. And now, my friends and fellow citizens, have we not reached the cause of your assemblage here? Have we not ascended to the source of that deep, intense, never-fading interest which to your fathers from the day of the issuing of this declaration, to you on the 61st anniversary after that event, and to your children and theirs of the 50th generation, has made and will continue to make it the first and happiest of festive days, in setting forth the justifying causes of their separation from Great Britain, your fathers opened the fountains of the great deep. For the first time since the creation of the world, the act which constituted a great people laid the foundations of their government upon the unalterable, eternal principles of human rights. They were comprised in a few short sentences and were delivered with the unqualified confidence of self-evident truths. We hold, says the Declaration, these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute a new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and 
happiness. It is afterwards stated to be the duty of the people, when their governments become incorrigibly oppressive, to throw them off and provide new guards for their future security. And it is alleged that such was the condition of the British colonies at that time, and that they were constrained by necessity to alter their systems of government. A moral ruler of the universe, the governor, controller of all human powers, is the only unlimited sovereign acknowledged by the Declaration of Independence, and it claims for the United States of America, when assuming their equal station among nations of the earth, only the power to do all that may be done of right. Three score and one years have passed away since this declaration was issued, and we may now judge of the tree by its fruit. It was a bold and hazardous step when considered merely as the act of separation of the colonies from Great Britain. Had the cause in which it was issued failed, it would have subjected every individual who signed it to the pains and penalties of treason to a cruel and ignominious death. But inflexible as were the spirits and intrepid as were the hearts of the patriots who by this act set at defiance the colossal power of the British Empire, bolder and more intrepid still were the souls which, at that crisis in human affairs, dared to proclaim the new and fundamental principles upon which their incipient republic was to be founded. It was an experiment upon the heart of man. All the legislatures of the human race, until that day, had laid the foundations of all government among men in power, and hence it was that in the maxims of theory, as well as in the practice of nations, sovereignty was held to be unlimited and illimitable. The Declaration of Independence proclaimed another law, a law of resistance against sovereign power when wielded for oppression, a law ascending to the tribunal of the universal lawgiver and judge, a law of right binding upon nations as well as individuals, upon sovereigns as well as subjects, by that law the colonists had resisted their sovereign. By that law, when that resistance had failed to reclaim him to the rule of right, they renounced him, abjured his allegiance, and assumed the exercise of rightful sovereignty themselves. But, in assuming the attributes of sovereign power, they appealed to the supreme judge of the world, for the rectitude of their intentions, and neither claimed nor conferred authority to do anything but of right. Of the war with Great Britain, by which the independence thus declared was maintained, and of the peace by which it was acknowledged, it is unnecessary to say more. Friends and fellow citizens, I speak to you with the voice as of one risen from the dead. Were I now, as I shortly must be, cold in my grave, and could the sepulchre unbar its gates, and open to me a passage to this desk devoted to the worship of Almighty God, I would repeat the question with which this discourse was introduced. Why are you assembled in this place? And one of you would answer me for all. Because the Declaration of Independence, with the voice of an angel from heaven, put to his mouth the sounding alchemy and proclaimed universal emancipation upon earth. It is not the separation of your forefathers from their kindred race beyond the Atlantic tide. It is not the union of 13 British colonies into one people and the entrance of that people upon the theater where kingdoms and empires and nations are the persons of the drama. It is not that this is the birthday of the North American Union, 
the last and noblest offspring of time, it is that the first words uttered by the genius of our country in announcing his existence to the world of mankind was freedom to the slave, liberty to the captives, redemption, redemption forever to the race of man from the yoke of oppression. It is not the work of a day, it is not the labor of an age, it is not the consummation of a century that we are assembled to commemorate. It is the emancipation of a race. It is the emancipation of man from the thraldom of man. And is this the language of enthusiasm? The dream of distempered fancy? Is it not rather the voice of inspiration? The language of holy writ? Why is it that the scriptures, both the old and new covenants, teach you upon every page to look forward to the time when the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, when the leopard lie down with the kid. Why is it that 600 years before the birth of the Redeemer, the sublimest of prophets with lips touched by the hallowed fire from the hand of God spake and said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them who are bound. And why is it that at the first dawn of the fulfillment of this prophecy, at the birthday of the Savior in the lowest condition of human existence, the angel of the Lord came in a flood of supernatural light upon the shepherds, witnesses of the scene, and said, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. What are the good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people? The prophet had told you six hundred years before liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. It is generally admitted by Christians of all denominations that the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy commenced at the birth of the Redeemer 600 years after it was promulgated. That it did so, commence, was expressly affirmed by Jesus himself, who, on his appearance in his missionary character at Nazareth, we are told in the Gospel of Luke, went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he opened the book, he found this very passage which I cited, and said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And Jesus closed the book, and gave it again to the minister, and sat down. This was the deliberate declaration of the earthly objective of his mission. He merely read the passage from the book of Isaiah, returned the book to the minister, and without application of what he had read, sat down. But that passage had been written 600 years before it was universally understood to refer to the expected Messiah. With what astonishment, then, must the worshippers in the synagogue of Nazareth have seen him, an unknown stranger, in the prime of manhood, stand up to read, on receiving the book, deliberately select and read that particular passage of the prophet, and without another word, close the volume, return it to the minister, and sit down. The historian adds, And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. The advent of the Messiah so long expected was then self-declared. That day was the scripture fulfilled in their ears. They had heard him at once reading from the book of the prophet, and speaking in the first person, declaring that the Spirit of the Lord God was upon himself. They heard him give a reason for this effluence of the Spirit of God upon him, because the Lord had anointed him to preach good tidings to the meek. 
they heard him expressly affirm the Lord had sent him to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. The prophecy will therefore be fulfilled not only in the ears, but in the will and the practice of mankind. But how many generations of men, how many ages of time will pass away before its entire and final fulfillment? Alas, more than 1800 years have passed away since the fulfillment of that scripture, which announced the advent of the Savior and the blessed object of his mission. How long will it be before that object itself shall be accomplished? Not yet are we permitted to go out with joy and to be led forth with peace. Not yet shall the mountains and the hills break forth before us into singing, and the trees of the field clap their hands. Not yet shall the fir tree come up instead of the thorn, nor the myrtle tree instead of the briar. But let no one despair of the final accomplishment of the whole prophecy. Still shall it be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The prediction of the prophet, the self-declaration of the Messiah, and his enunciation of the objects of his mission have been and are fulfilled so far as depended on his own agency. He declared himself anointed to preach good tidings to the meek, and faithfully was that mission performed. He declared himself sent to bind up the brokenhearted, and this too, how faithfully it has been performed. Yes, through all the ages since his appearance on earth, he has preached and yet preaches good tidings to the meek. He has bound up, yet he binds up the brokenhearted. He said he was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives, an opening of prison doors to them that are bound. But the execution of that promise was entrusted to the will of man. Twenty centuries have nearly passed away, and it is yet to be performed. But let no one surrender his Christian faith that the Lord of creation will, in his own good time, realize a declaration made in his name, made in words such as were never uttered by the uninspired lips of man, in words worthy of omnipotence. The progress of the accomplishment of the prophecy is slow. It has baffled the hopes and disappointed the wishes of generation after generation of men. Yet observe well the history of the human family since the birth of the Savior, and you will see great, remarkable, progressive approximations towards it. Such is the prevalence over so large a portion of the race of man of the doctrines promulgated by Jesus and his apostles, lessons of peace, benevolence, meekness, brotherly love, and charity, all utterly incompatible with the ferocious spirit of slavery. But of all the events tending to the blessed accomplishment of the prophecy so often repeated in the book of Isaiah, and then reproclaimed by the multitude of heavenly hosts at the birth of the Savior, there is not one that can claim, since the propagation of the Christian faith, a tenth, nay, a hundredth part of the influence of the resolution adopted on the second day of July, 1776, and promulgated to the world in the Declaration of Independence on the fourth of that month. And to prove this has been the theme of my discourse. And that, dear listeners of Core Principles, is the history of this great nation. We were founded to be a leading nation in all the world history of the eradication of slavery. The true independence and true liberty and true equality of all is definitely worth celebrating. And that is why I love the 4th of July and why I love America. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.